under thread count sheets and down comforters, large fireplaces, um, and you get to be there. That is your home for the entire summer with your family. And by the way, it includes a weekly cleaning service, all included. You have scheduled in hikes, kayak trips, a cooking class on how to cook bison. You are ready for a real vacation to unplug and be in a beautiful, spacious place and recharge. And your kids are excited. They've been watching wild crats for years. They are ready to look for moose and elk. They have packed their backpacks with maps of the park. And they have their binoculars. They have insect catchers. They are excited that that's what their summer is going to entail. You pack your car ready to go. It is a day. You have waken up early. You have thought about everything that you need to pack for the summer. And you've packed it in your trunk like Tetris, right? And you're like, let's get an early start because we want to get to Banff by evening. And so you're, you, you turn on your playlist called Banff 2022, 2022. And you're like, hello, Lake Louise, here we come. So you start, you know, you start um, driving there. And here it is. Here's the drive. It takes about 11 hours and 41 minutes. We'll count 12 hours altogether because of rest stops and everything. And you start driving, and everything's going well. You're singing along to the playlist. The kids are, you know, watching a show on their iPad. And then someone has to go pee. Of course, right? You've prepared for this. So you stop at Pasco, you know, a small town, you know, a, a typical rest stop. You think, um, we might as well fill up on gas and some lunch. And since we're going to stop, let's get some real food, right? Like, you know, we're moving into, like, a, a, a beautiful summer with rest. We're not in a rush here. So let's get some real food. We don't need to get fast food. You look on Yelp, you hear that there's an awesome barbecue place. And so, you're, yeah, that sounds awesome. Let's go there. You get there, the line is out the door. And you're like, you know what? It just means that it's good. So you decide, let's stay, let's wait. And at this point, ETA to Banff is 10 p.m. But you're like, hey, as long as we get in before midnight, it's good. You know, um, it's fine. Um, and so you have this delicious lunch. And while you're there, you chat it up with the locals, and the locals tell you about this awesome playground that, you know, like they just built it, and it's like a destination in itself, and it's only two miles away from here. The kids hear about it, and they're like, please, please, can we go? You're like, guys, this is not the destination. We're going to Banff. It's beautiful. We get to spend the whole summer there. Don't get tripped up on the playground. But they're like, but it sounds amazing. It sounds amazing. And so you, they're like, okay, it's just going to be 10 minutes, I promise. So you go there. Two hours later, your kids have made new best friends. And their mom is like, come over for dinner. It turns out her husband and your husband go to the, went to the same college. And so it would be rude to say no. You're like, you know what? We need to eat dinner anyway. We'll just drive through the night. The kids will sleep better. So you go and have dinner. And after a few glasses of wine and a lot of college chatter, you're exhausted. You can't imagine driving through the night. You're like, hey, I think I saw a Holiday Inn when we first turned off the freeway. Let's just stay there for the night, and then, and then we'll head out. Well, one night turns into a week because there's a really nice pool at the hotel, and there's a free continental breakfast. That drive to Banff... Whew, it feels really far right now. I can't imagine getting back into the car. You really like Pasco. You know, they have mountains here and a Costco. 
you heard some people talk about how things are just tightening up on the border and it's going to take even longer. And you're like, oh, man, I didn't think about that. You start reading some articles about scandals in the Canadian government and think, maybe it's not worth it. You know, it sounds dangerous up there. You and your family decide it's the same looking at pictures. We've seen pictures of Banff. Oh, you know what? You can see YouTube videos of moose and elk, and I heard it's around the same. So, you know, it smells a little funky here in Pasco all the time. And there aren't all the epic adventures, other daily playground trips and target runs, but this is good enough. Let's just stay in Pasco for the summer. Now, Paul talks about goals in, in the lifelong journey in Philippians 3. And we've been sitting in Philippians um, this, this last month. So let's go ahead and read about what Paul talks about goals in the lifelong journey. In chapter 12, this is what he says. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And his goal is mentioned right before. It is knowing Christ fully and the power of his resurrection, the sharing of his suffering and the transformation to be whole and fully satisfied. Paul is not there yet. He says, hey, I'm trying. I'm straining towards it. But man, I am not perfect, but I am pushing forward and I am trying to be there. And he says, I have claimed this as my own. I've claimed this goal as my own, but also Christ claims me. And when he says Christ is grabbing onto me as I'm grabbing onto the prize, the confidence in that is this, that Jesus is not going to stop until he has fully done the good work that he's intended in him. And so that is the confidence that with which he is moving towards the prize. Because he's like, yeah, I'm going to try my best, but let's just be real. I'm not going to be able to make it there on my own. I can be easily distracted. I can, it is hard. And so it is, thank goodness that Jesus is the one that is going to do this in me and fully transform me and satisfy me. Now, if you notice in the language around here, there's a lot of straining forward, pressing on, holding true, standing firm. That is the invitation to this lifelong journey. And all those words help me see that it's not an easy journey, right? They're not saying, like, sail by, enjoy the view, right? Like, just see where it takes you. That is, those are not the words that are used here. And if you know those words, you're like, okay, I get it. It is not easy to choose to know Jesus fully. It is not easy to carry on focused on this goal because it means laying down your life. 
It means suffering for his kingdom. It means putting yourself and your desires lower than others. It means surrender. And then Paul says, yeah, and you look around and most of the people are not on this journey with you. Most of the other people, they're taking detours left and right and they're like, ooh, shiny. (laughs) Ooh, like this looks fun, right? He calls them enemies of the cross of Christ. Those who choose to find their worth and satisfaction in the things around them that make them feel good or respected or seen and loved or entertained. Paul says that their God is the belly, whatever is pleasurable and immediate. But he's clear about this, that the result is destruction and shame. Paul calls the Philippians to remember their goal and their citizenship. He reminds them what they're waiting for. He's like, you're waiting for our Savior in Jesus. And he's the one that will transform our brokenness and and transform us into whole beloved people who are satisfied. That is the goal. He'll do it if we press on. But like the road trip, it's hard. Banff or heaven is very far away, right? You can have a long view and you can be like, yeah, that's my goal. But in the meantime, there are immediate needs and opportunities and distractions that are happening, right? As good as that Banff cabin sounds, as wonderful and glorious as being with Jesus sounds, it is a long ways off. And sometimes heaven feels like a mirage. So when we're dissatisfied or when we're hungry, It is easy to choose the easy road. It almost doesn't even feel like a choice, right? When Birch, my husband, comes home at the end of the day, I am usually making dinner, and it is between 30 to 45 minutes that dinner is going to be on the table. I can always tell when he hasn't had lunch, which is maybe 50% of the time. Um, Because if he hasn't had lunch, whatever is in his sight, he's just, it's going in his mouth. Right? So he's pouring like jelly bellies, probably like 20 at a time, and popping them in his mouth within two minutes. Right? Or there's like leftover breakfast, crusty old like oatmeal that's been sitting there for about eight hours that he's gonna start spooning into his mouth. Or the stale cookie that we forgot to throw away that's half eaten really hard, and he just decides to pick it up and start gnawing on it, even though he knows, if I just wait for 30 minutes, I will be fully satisfied with a meal that is going to actually be good for me. You know, he knows that what he's putting in his mouth is not satisfying, that he might get a stomach ache afterwards, maybe food poisoning, you know, like at least a headache from all the sugar rush, right? But it almost doesn't feel like a choice when you are hungry and you're dissatisfied. It takes extra self-control and discipline to choose the better thing when you are feeling hungry. Right? So we all can relate to that. Um, Now, if you were to ask me, as a parent, what I long for most for my kids in life, I would say this. It would be simple. Like, I want them to know Jesus fully. I want them to know Jesus. I want them to love Jesus and know that Jesus loves them no matter what. That they are eternally and and individually loved by a father who is never going to let go. I want them to know that no matter what they fail in, no matter what they do with their lives, no matter how many chances that they need, Jesus is going to be right there ready to help them and ready to love them, and he's never going to forsake them, and that there is nothing better in the whole world than Jesus. 
And I know that as a parent, that that is, is something that a lot of us agree upon, right? That at the end of the day, that's what I want my kids to know and have and understand, that they can trust Jesus with their whole lives, right? Now, that doesn't seem true on a daily level. If you were to come into my house on a regular, you would be like, oh, really? Is that what you want for your kids? Because I'm seeing a different situation here, right? I am tempted to allow how my kids do in school like to determine what the worth is here, right? And I hate saying this, but how they do in the day affects how I do in the day. If they had a hard day, my day is going to be hard. If they had a day where they didn't do what they're supposed to be doing in school, like if they didn't stay in their seats, if they didn't do their schoolwork, and now they have to do all this homework, right? Like if they didn't if they weren't a good friend or if they didn't have any friends to play with on the playground, I can tell you right now my day is not good, right? And I hate that that has, that has a direct correlation to me and my day and my worth. But it does, right? And I, when they are not trying their best and they don't care about school, I get so angry because I was never allowed to come home with anything lower than an A, A minuses are for lazy people, right? I was raised to believe that I was more lovable when I had A's, right? I could tell on my parents' face and actually in their words, right, that they were proud of me if I got an A. And if I did anything less, if I settled or didn't study hard enough and I got an A minus or, God forbid, a B plus, I would my parents would be so mad at me. And I grew up in a little bit of a tumultuous family where my parents had a lot of fights. And so if they were proud of me and they were happy with me, they fought less. And chaos would be averted for another day. And so there was just this pressure and this value system in my family and how I grew up that This is how you were valuable. This is how you were lovable. This is how you were going to hold your family together. Just do good in school. And I hated that there was no space for me to get a B or a C or whatever. But here I am as a parent placing the same standards on my kids. And under the guise of love, I say that my desire for them is to grow up with character of hard work and perseverance, to love learning, to be a good friend, to have self-control, right? Like, this is what you strive for because these things are important. And I am a happy and proud mom when they do that, and I am an angry and disappointed mom when they don't. And guess what? They can tell. Even if I don't say anything, they can tell on my face, right? And I think about how am I any different than the Judaizers, right, who say, Jesus is great, but we need to do more to prove that we are Christians. We need to do all these things The cross is not enough, right? How am I any different than the people who set their minds on earthly things, trusting in what we produce or what we do to give us value and worth? I point to these things as their salvation. I say, try harder, do better. This is what your life should be. And that is not the gospel, right? That is not the life Jesus is inviting us to. It is a life where our imperfection, in our lack of self-control, in our failure to be a good friend, in our laziness, we are still eternally and madly loved by our God. And as I parent, 
I confess I have to be so diligent and intentional about what kind of gospel I show my kids through what I care about, what we prioritize, and what I say. It is hard. And I know that not all of us are parents here, but I just wanted to think about what is an area in my life where I get detoured by, from the goal? Because this is what everybody else is doing. This is what everybody else is caring about. And I just get stressed because I'm like, my kids are just going to fail in that system if I don't push them, right? I am not perfect. I am trying. And Lord Jesus, I pray that your promise to transform our body of humiliation and brokenness into glory will happen because I certainly cannot do it on my own. We can be tempted to settle for Pasco because it is right there. It is easy. We don't have to wait for it. What starts off as a rest stop can turn into a lifetime. We sometimes veer off course from choosing Jesus' way, from choosing to love people God's way um, in a sacrificial way because we get distracted by a hard season or by busyness or, I don't know, a pandemic, right? Escaping into easy and numbing things, you know, like is what we crave and need. And it's not always bad, right? There was a time where we were like, every single time, all around me, all I see is bad news, right? Like, all I see is fear and, and division and, and just hard things. And so to escape into a show, there's, you know, that's okay, right? There's nothing bad in that. I have days like that still, and it has nothing to do with the pandemic. But then the escape turns into a habit. And now I'm in this rest stop for days, and I don't even know what life is, what is life giving anymore, Right? But it's never too late to turn back onto the road towards Banff. And I think that that's the invitation, right? We have to go get gas and, and go to the bathroom. We need to make pit stops. But if that is, we stay there, then we have lost why we are on this trip to begin with. Paul invites us to imitate him. Not because he has lived his life perfectly. Not that he doesn't wrestle anymore about what gives him worth right, and respect. Earlier in the chapter, he talks about his resume. He basically talks about what gives him street cred and respect, coming from the right part of town, from the most prestigious schools, from a well-respected family. These were the things that mattered in the world. And he says, I leave that all behind, and I press on towards what really matters, what really satisfies, what really gives me worth, right, what really satisfies me. Because these other things, they can get you places. They will get you respect. You will earn your right to be seen and heard. But it will entrap you, and it will always push for more. There will always be someone else who went to a better school than you. right? There will always be someone else that has a higher-powered position than you. There will always be someone else that has the nicer phone or the newer car with the better gadgets right? You have to keep up with that stuff. You need to do more to get more respect. You need to put in more hours, get a bigger house, buy the newest stuff. It will never be enough. And so he tells us to imitate him, to leave those things behind and say, I want more than that, right? Towards the goal of the only one who will satisfy, the only one who knows us and loves us fully as we are, not what we should be, and to wrestle and fight against the passive ease into complacency and justification. Because, again, like I said, at the beginning, these things do satisfy, right? When you're in a brand new relationship, you're giddy. You're like, 
oh, this guy really knows me. He really likes me. And oh, it was just thrilling just to hold his hand, right? Or this new job, it is, I'm, I love that I'm so good at this, right? Like this fits me perfectly. And the hours are great. And this company is great. The boss just asked me to have lunch with him. I love this, right? It is incredibly satisfying to be able to enjoy a new car because you earned and saved enough money for it. It is incredible, right? To be wooed by someone who likes you for you and sees you and, and loves all your quirks. But at some point, it will not be enough. You will want more. And I think that there is this lie that says, no, if, you, if, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't want more. That's hedonism. You shouldn't want more. You should want less. That's what following Jesus is about, wanting less. And I would say, actually, all throughout scripture, that is absolutely untrue. It's the opposite, that Jesus is like, don't settle. Want more. You should want more. That's good. You want more? Exactly. That's how I created you. Because when you are like, when your soul is saying, this is not enough. I don't, this is not satisfactory. I want more, more, more. Jesus is saying, that's what I created you for. I created your soul for eternal things. And all these other things are temporary. And, and they're not going to be enough. You are created for more. So when your soul is crying out for more because it is not enough, that is your soul that I created saying exactly what is true. Pay attention to that. We were created for more. And the thing is, the world says, settle for this. It will be enough, even though it will never be enough. Right? And I think that sometimes we think, oh, the goal is heaven. The goal is far along, like a long ways off. Banff is all the way out there. And yet Jesus is saying, yes, the goal is heaven. The goal is complete sanctification. But I am promising joy even along the journey. Right? He's like, I want you to be satisfied now. I want you to experience joy now. I want you to experience wholeness and full satisfaction now. Right? So he's not saying, like, withhold all that and just know that it is in the future in eternity for you. But he actually is inviting us to that now. And he wants us not to settle. We give up everything for a free continental breakfast. And I just want to say it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I don't care if the hotel pool is heated. It's just not worth it. Right? So what are the Pascos that stall our journey? What are the places and the detours that stall our journey? And as we and these are some of the things that I invite us into as we are thinking about the lifelong journey. The first is that we would examine our hearts. Because really, it isn't that a new car or a good job or any of these things are actually bad in themselves right? Netflix shows there's nothing bad inherently in any of these things. It is actually what our hearts do with these things that is the issue, right? The, the thing that our hearts do is that we sometimes tend to idolize these things. We tend to latch onto these things. We tend to hold onto them and say, yes, this is it. This is the thing that will satisfy me. This is the thing that's going to complete me. This is the thing that is going to give me the worth that I am longing for. This is the thing that is going to love me. And so perhaps externally, it doesn't look any different, 
but internally what our hearts do and whether or not we know um, we are giving over to this thing and, and trusting in this thing more than God has intended us to, that is what we are invited to examine. And no one else is going to be able to do that work except for us because no one else is going to be able to be honest about what our hearts do with these things than us. So again, externally, it is, it is what I would say the idol behind the idol, right? So the first thing we need to do is examine our hearts and say, yeah, what are the things that trip us up on this journey to keep me focused on the goal? And then the second thing is confession. I don't know how many times I can say in my own life when I have seen the ugliness of my heart and what I give um, my heart over to that makes me feel immediately ashamed and needing to hide, right? I'm like, I don't want to say, I don't want to share this with anybody. I don't want to talk about this with anybody, right? I'm in process. I haven't reached it. And I feel ashamed that this is something that I trust in. And what we want to do is we want to turn inward. But actually, freedom is found as we confess, And so as we examine our hearts and see where we get stuck, where the Pascos are that deter us from the goal, the invitation is to confess and break the shame, right? Because we don't want shame to be the thing that like ties us down and just say, okay, well, this is a private matter between me and God. I'll just deal with it between me and God. Because the freedom is not received in that, right? So confession is the second thing. Third is accountability, right? I know it's funny that we're like, oh, let's spend the summer in Pasco, right? Sorry if you're from Pasco, you know, like I think that it sometimes has a reputation of being like the armpit in Washington. But um, the, the thing is, we would think nothing would draw me to Pasco. But guess what? It does, right? Things are hard and this is easy. And so there are just things in our lives that we need other people to be like, hey, you're not returning to Pasco, right? oh, hey, I just wanted to make sure that you're not hanging your hat there. So even as you confess, the invitation, too, is for you to say, can you just hold me accountable? Can you ask me to make sure that I am not, you know, putting my value in how well my kids are doing in school and trusting in that for my identity? Um, And then the last thing is surrender. And I know that we kind of throw around this word like, oh, surrender, you know, like just give it to Jesus. But I think that there is a real truth that we just can't do it on our own. We just, we really cannot make it on that journey on our own. You know, like it is just incredibly hard. And our temptation and everything around us is to look around and be like, oh, where is everybody else going? Oh, they care about this. Oh, curricular, extracurricular activities. That's what I should put my kids in because that's what everybody else is doing. Oh, like, um, I should watch the show because that's what everybody else is doing. Oh, you know, like, I should aim high for this because this is where respect is gotten. It is hard, and I think that over and over again, we need to choose into a rhythm of surrender to be able to say, Jesus, I can't do this. And I want to give you this thing because I want to believe that what you have for me is better. And that we need to be showing and modeling that to our kids. We need to be modeling that to our friends. We need to invite one another into just a rhythm of surrender over and over again in need of the only one who's able to transform us. 
The one last thing that I would say is crucial in this lifelong journey is this. I think that when we are reading scripture, sometimes we read it from a modern Western perspective, which is very individualistic. Right? We're like, oh, Paul is just talking to me. Right? But Paul is writing a letter to the community of Philipp- like in Philippi. Right? So he's saying when he gives an invitation or a command, it is to the entire community of people. Right? And so we, in, in Paul's time, everything is communal. Right? Yes, faith is personal, but it's never meant to be private. It is meant to be lived and pursued in, account, in community with accountability and unity. Because it's too hard to do it alone. Right? So when he says, press on to make it your goal, he's actually envisioning a group of people pressing on to make it their goal. He's not, in, like, he's not envisioning one random person just running and running and running trying to press on to make it their goal. Right? Um, And so the invitation for us is not just that he invites us to imitate him because he's doing it even within community, but he's also saying, do it together. Um, Taylor, who's um, a PSU student, she has been coming to our church, and she has a community at PSU who've also been coming to the church. They have learned how to love one another and care for each other. They do life together. They study together. They come to church together. And um, Taylor um, was, um, a few weeks ago, they all went to Mount Hood to play in the snow. They had an awesome day. They took cute pictures. They, like, did crazy things. And it was a perfect day. And as as they were heading down the hill, Taylor had a really hard conversation on the phone with her mom. And everything shifted. And because her friends, who've been doing life with her, know her story, know what's been happening, they know, like, oh, something's, something's off. And so they're like, are you okay? Is everything okay? And Taylor decides at that moment to be transparent and say, no, like, I just had a really hard conversation with my mom. And they could have just said, I'm so sorry, because they know things have, are hard, right? Um, that sucks. But instead they say, can we pray for you? At that moment, the best way we know how to care for you is not to just commiserate with you. The best way we know how to care for you is actually bring you up, have the upward call towards God because God is the one that's able to bring the healing and the restoration. And we as a community, we want to bring you to him. And you might not know how to pray in this moment because it feels hard and, 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 and hopeless, but we know and we will hope on your behalf and we will lift you up on your behalf. And so that's what they did. And I think that that's just such a beautiful picture of exactly what it looks like to press on as a community together towards the goal, towards knowing Jesus fully, towards supporting one another and caring for one another in that way. We were created for Banff, guys. We were. Not for Pasco. We were created for Banff, for beauty and majesty, for wide, spacious places. So let's press on together. Let's do it together as a community. Let's not get distracted by these rest stops that we're never meant to be in. Okay? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you. We thank you that you have a glorious incredible goal in front of us. You have heaven. You have life more fulfilling than we could ever imagine 
in front of us, and the world wants to distract us from that. It says, just settle for these other things around us, and God, you invite us and remind us over and over again not to settle because we were created for more. And so, God, I pray that you would show us, open our eyes to the ways that we settle, show us and open our eyes to the ways that we forget and, and, and remind us um, that there is more in store for us than what we could even possibly imagine. We pray this in your name. Amen.